Morning. All right, you can hear me, right? All right, good. You can hear me? All right, sweet. All right. Not according to my watch. I set mine fast. All right, you know the you know the drill. Ready? Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, we praise you and give you honor and glory. We thank you for the weather. We thank you for fellowship. We thank you that you said it is not good that man should be alone and that we can commune together with one heartbeat, one purpose, that we can worship you and we look forward to the day where it won't be here on earth, where we will gather with the nations and throw our crowns at your feet and we will cling to the feet of Jesus saying there is no more death, sorrow, crying, and pain. We yearn for that day. We ask this all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. So, many of you probably grew up with this story, and I don't know if the kids nowadays have heard this story. There is a story. I actually just saw a little grasshopper over here. How many of you know the story of the ant and the grasshopper? Are you serious? That's all that know the story of the ant and the grasshopper? I grew up with this story. I'm going to read it to where it was probably originally what it said. One bright day in a late autumn, a family of ants were bustling about in the warm sunshine, drying out the grain they had stored up during the summer. When a starving grasshopper, his fiddle under his arm, came up, and humbly begged for a bite to eat. What? cried the ants in surprise. Haven't you stored anything away for the winter? What in the world are you, have you been doing all summer? I didn't have time to store up food, whined the grasshopper. I was so busy making music that before I knew it, the summer was gone. The ants shrugged their shoulders in disgust. And here's the sad part. Making music, were you? They cried, very well, now dance. And they turned their backs on the grasshopper and went on their way with their work. Now, there are various versions of this story that I've read. And some are actually in the summer where the, the grasshopper says, please, come ants, let's dance, let's sing. And the ant says, no, we're storing up for the winter. And then by the time the winter comes, he says, please, share with me. And some of the versions end up nicer than others. You know, back in these days, I mean, if you watch old Disney, you see they were a lot darker. Oh, sorry. These stories were realistic. But what I take from this story, which I'll give that to Rob, what I, what I take from this story is, Discipline is good. Discipline is good. I want to take you to a story. I'm going to take you on this path a little bit. I want to take you to a story in Mark chapter 9. If you want to go there, in Mark chapter 9, and you probably know this story 
well. So in Mark chapter 9, Jesus had just been transfigured in front of three of his disciples. And Elijah and Moses were apparently there, and, and this, this great thing happened on the mountaintop. And I'm sure those, those, those disciples were excited, and they were, they were curious. There was a lot of stuff going on. And as they come down from the mountain, there's confusion. There was harmony on top. There's confusion on the bottom. And he's, hey, what's going on here? And if you remember the story, the disciples come to him and say, we were trying to cast out a demon from this boy, but nothing was happening. And so he has this di- Jesus has this dialogue with the, with the father, and the father says he's been doing this his whole life. And he's been casting himself actually into the fire. And do you remember what the father says? He uses a, a key two-letter word. He says, if, if you can do something, please do it. Because your disciples obviously weren't doing it. So if you have a little bit more power, do it. And how does Jesus respond? What word does he use? If. (laughs) Well, if you can believe that I can do it, then we'll do it. And I love the the way the guy responds. He says, I believe. What does he say after that? Help my unbelief. Help it where I don't believe. And he heals this boy. He heals the boy. And then he addresses the, the disciples. Actually, they, they ask him a question. Um, if you look in, in verse 28, it says, After Jesus had gone indoors, his di- indoors uh, the disciples asked him privately, Hey, Master, why couldn't we drive it out? And he says this. He replies, This kind can only come out by what? By prayer. Well, I think in this text it says prayer, but there is, I think it's in Matthew where it says prayer and fasting. Does it say prayer and fasting there? Okay, I don't know if that's in the, that might not be in original text. So, it can only come by prayer. Now, if you read the text, if you read the, the whole text, when, this, when he's having this hot dialogue with the man and the, he's about to heal this boy, does he say, well, let's stop. I want to pray. Let, let's pray real quick. Is, does that, is that in the text? No. It's not in the text. I actually believe what he is saying here is not the event of prayer. He's talking about the habit of prayer. Do you remember when, when, uh, when Peter and John are walking into the temple in Acts and the guy's asking for alms, oh, please give me some money, and, and, he's, and they say, silver and gold, have I none? But in the name of Jesus, get up. Why didn't they say, can you just wait a second? All right, John, let's, let's pray real quick. That's not in the text, is it? That they gathered... I believe that the power of prayer is in the discipline of prayer. I am 
saddened to say, you know, I've done Bible studies since I've been in, before I was in official pastoral ministry, even when I was a missionary, I've done Bible studies with people for years. I've noticed at every point in life or every place, and, and I'm assuming, and I don't want to make this assumption, but I, but I am going to, that we're not that much different here. But sad to say, I've noticed that a lot of people do not have regular prayer lives. They don't have regular prayer lives. Now, that might not, I'm, I'm not talking about praying before meals. I'm not praying, you know, I'm not talking about the quick prayer before bed. I'm talking about a devoted time to cry out to the Lord. You know, how many of you have ever played sports? Played sports? Okay. Um, were they actually like varsity sport? Like, where, not an intramural sport, because I actually differentiate the two. Because intramural sports, actually, I actually am a lot more for having an actual varsity sport than intramural. Because I'll see kids get out there, hey, I, you know, they just want to play. They don't learn anything. But if you've played a disciplined sport, there's a lot of stuff you don't like to do, right? In football, the, the thing I hated most were bear crawls. Do you know what bear crawls are? Where you get on all four and you crawl down the field. You just crawl down the field and then you come back. And sometimes you have somebody hopefully lighter on your back and you're doing this. In wrestling, I hated suicides. You guys know what suicide, basketball players, you guys know what suicides are. Where you run, come back, run a little bit further, come back, they're just sprints. Boom, 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 boom. But I'll tell you, without those disciplines, you get into the game and are you ready? And I wonder if we're playing the game without the discipline. And so when we see these big things happen and we say, well, now we need to pray, we are like the disciples. And we have to ask somebody who does pray, why couldn't I do that? Because maybe at that moment they were praying. I bet you they were praying. It doesn't say it, so I, I am making an assumption there. But they're like, you know, what do we do now? But maybe God is saying here, what Jesus is saying is, your life is not bathed in prayer. I actually believe, now I believe we are saved by grace, and that's it. You are saved. Your salvation comes from outside of you. But life transformation happens by discipline. You are transformed by discipline. And we live in such a romantic age now that we don't like discipline. But hence the root of discipline is what? What are we building? Disciples. This, you know that this little series that we're doing is over the tabernacle, right? So we're doing this over the tabernacle, and this one is about the altar of incense. So I'm going to, I actually, I'm not, they're sort of volunteers, but not. I, I need you. I need you. I need you. All right. So this is what we're going to do, just so that you can visualize. Not everybody remembers what the temple is about. So we're going to assume, let's, let's assume this is the tabernacle, okay? And 
We'll say that is the Ark of the Covenant right there. There was a curtain here, even though it would be inside. But there were three things in the holy place. That's the most holy place, separated by the curtain. Since you're right here. All right. Does anybody remember what was on this side? The bread. The table of bread. Does anybody remember what is right here? The altar of incense, and hence this was? Yeah, the candlestick. Right. Yeah, you, you know, no, you need to. Right. Yeah, and, you know, he wears this color shirt. Just, uh, yeah, it's great. So, but daily, if you remember, daily, the priest would come with blood. And he would sprinkle it here on the veil. So the veil was covered with blood. But there was another place the blood would go. Where would it go? On the horns of this, of the altar. So I need your hands. So they would come and put blood here. And ironically, if you look in Hebrews chapter 9, if you want to go there, Hebrews chapter 9, and I'm going to start in verse 2. It says it, says it a little bit differently. It says a tabernacle was set up in its first room were the lampstand, which is over here, and the consecrated bread, which is over here. And it says, and this was the holy place. It's missing him. And then it continues. But behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. You guys can sit down. You guys all got the picture, right? In There was debate on where the altar of incense was, or what room was it really a part of? It is something that maybe is a part of both. And if you read Old Testament, it seems that it implies that it's in this room, but in, but in Hebrews, it implies that it's in this room. And I want to teach you the, the word for, you know I'm going to teach you a Hebrew word, right? The, the Hebrew word for incense is ketoret. Yeah, ketoret. You can you repeat it if you can. Ketoret. It's easy. So ketoret comes from the word katar. Now katar, it's believed, because if you look, most of the times where katar is used, it's used as smoke. But it's believed that it comes from the Aramaic word that means to connect or to join. Actually, in the Aramaic section of the book of Daniel, it translates it as the joints, like your joints. It is a place where two meet. And the place where the, the holy place and the most holy place meet, where the throne meets the regular priest, which we have read, we are part of that priesthood, where they meet is here at the altar of incense. This is, the way, this is the way that we join together 
with the most holy place. God has made a way through the altar of incense. Now, you see that that altar of incense, if, if you read, um, and, and I'm going to go to, let's go to Revelation chapter 8. I believe it's in Revelation 8. Unless I mean, it might be 7. Hold on. Yes. So verse 3. And another angel who had the golden censer came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense to offer with what? The prayers of the saints. And on the golden altar before the throne. These, this incense which is a great fragrance, was the prayer of the saints. Prayers, prayers, prayers poured out. Prayer is what empowered in joining these two worlds together. Actually, if you read, if, if you see Jesus' discipline, because if Jesus is our example, if you go to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5, Verse 16, oh no, not Matthew 5, 16. Um, Luke 6, 12, let's go to Luke 6, 12, sorry. Sorry, different book. It says this, One of those days Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray, and he spent all night there. Now was this uncommon for Jesus' habit? He would pull aside to pray, he would pull aside to pray. He would pull aside to pray. Do you think we have passed this on to our generations? I do wonder. I wonder if our generations that have come do not know how to do the discipline of prayer. You know in your own walk. You know if if you have set aside that time, now I'm saying, I'm going to tell you what I decided early in my Christian life. Um, and I'm not saying this, I'm just telling you that I had to discipline, I had to carve this out. So every, and this has happened ever since I gave my life to Christ. Well, probably about a year and a half after when I became a missionary. I decided I'm devoting the first hour of my day to the Lord. This is way before I thought I was going to be a pastor. I know, I know it seems easier because I'm paid to pray, but, uh, but this is way before I thought I was going to be a pastor. I, I actually, I fought that call for a while. Um, when I would work construction after I gave my life to Christ, still, if I knew I was going to be somewhere, so, so if I had to be at work at 6.30 or at 7, I would get up two hours earlier. Always, two hours earlier, because I need a half hour for prayer, a half hour for the Word, a half hour to eat and just get ready, maybe watch, you know, something a little bit, and a half hour to get ready, you know, like to shower or, you know, get that part ready. Always, two hours before I leave, I had to carve that out. If I don't carve that out, Will something else take that time? Oh, you know it will. In the same way 
if I don't carve out time for my wife or my kids, will something occupy that time? Yes, it will. But that's not what God intended. You ever seen that illustration? I, I guess I could have done this, where you have a jar and you have little rocks and big rocks and you know that they all fit in there. If you're the one who's doing the illustration, you have the big rocks, little rocks. What do you have to put in first to make it all get in? The big rocks. So my question to you is, is prayer one of your big rocks or is it one of your little rocks? Because if you make it a little rock, or if you try, I think it should automatically be a big rock, but if you fill it with little rocks all in there, are you going to get that big rock in there? No. So now my question to you is, how do you pray? How do we do this? Well, I personally believe that we have taught it very Greek. So I, I, I actually want to do, I don't know if I want to do a couple things with you, but, but I want to show you that in Scripture it, it is a little bit different. Um, so let's go to, I, I want you to go to Matthew, or not Matthew, Psalms chapter 95. Go to Psalms chapter 95. Psalm chapter 95, verse 6. Yes, Psalm 95, verse 6. It says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. In Hebraic thought, posture is part of prayer. Posture, you know, when we think of Prayer, you know, you fold your hands, close your eyes. By the way, do you know that that is not probably original biblical, what they, you know, close your eyes, fold your hands? Actually, most of them prayed with eyes closed or open. Open. You pray open. And I know we fight this because, because it maybe seems too Eastern, but w what most of them would do, the word shaka they would prostrate themselves face to ground. Because you say, I associate with the ground, which is dead. Therefore, I am dead, but it is Christ who is crucified who lives in me. And my posture is important. But that is not the only the posture that is important in prayer. Go to Psalms 28, verse 2. And he says, hear my cry for mercy as I call to, help, call to you for help. I will do what? I will lift up my hands toward your most holy place. The posture of lifting up hands. And I know that's scary to some people because they feel it's so charismatic. But it's so biblical. It is so biblical. The word yada 
comes from the word yad, which means hands, and it's translated thanksgiving a lot of times, that when they would pray in thanksgiving, the hands would be lifted in surrender. You think about when, you know, in the old Cowboys Indians kind of, or when people would get robbed, what's the first thing? Put your hands up. And I do wonder if that is what this is saying. Is, Lord, I come to you empty-handed. I surrender all to you. I have laid with my face to the ground, and now I have nothing. This is what I have to offer you, me. I'm offering you me, Lord. I want to tell you, I, I know I'm a little bit all over the place today, but we're outdoor, outdoor church, right? Sorry if you're watching. I have lots of soapboxes. Prayer is one of them. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe God wants to do things, and he wants to do things through the discipline of prayer. Not just through one prayer. Hey, let's pray for Hurricane Harvey. No, he wants us to bathe our lives in prayer. And I believe that God wants us to be specific in our prayers. Here's one of my soapboxes. The word that I, that I think is the most overused, not good word in prayer. Can anybody guess what it, what, what it is? Bless. Bless. Bless Rod, bless Jen, bless Rob, bless... You know, that's, that's, you know, if you look in Scripture, who is usually the one who is blessed in prayer? God, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. They don't say bless me as much as they say bless the Lord. So I think when you read the Psalms, which are a great example of how to pray, he prays specific. Don't, yes, my bones hurt. When I pray, when parents pray for their kids, when we pray for Heather, I don't say bless Heather. Hopefully she tells me I am struggling with this person at work or at school and we lift her up. If somebody is dealing with, with alcoholism, that we lift them up. Father, make it taste horrible in their mouth. Transform their lives. Whatever is going on, there is power in specific prayer. I do wonder what the Lord thinks. And, you know, I don't know. But when he hears, bless, 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 bless. I mean, could you imagine your kids come to you? Hey, Dad. And all they'd say, bless me, bless my sister, bless, you know. I don't even, I don't even quite understand what that would mean. Bless this person, bless that, bless our house, bless. No, I want to engage. I want them specific. Use your words. That's what we tell. Use your words. Kids, tell me what you really want. That is true prayer. So as we, this stage one of inside the holy place, as we come to this altar, which joins these two worlds together, May we come with arms up 
face to the ground and say, God, I want to be transformed. I want to come before the throne of grace. I believe in your power. And through the discipline of prayer, God has called this church to be the transforming agent to them out there. But it will not happen if we are not daily connected to that side. I want to end this way because I, I, I want all the kids to come here because there's uh, all the, the kids and even high school kids, high school and under. I want all the kids to come here because there is, there is one ritual that Jesus did do in prayer. And, I would, and if you, I want you to go look at Matthew chapter 19. If you, if you have your Bibles right there, go to Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. And the elders that are here, whether you are a current serving elder or you have been an elder, I want you to surround these kids. And Matthew 19, if you're still sitting there, in verse 13 says this. Then the little children were brought to Jesus, and maybe not so little children, for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. I want us to be a praying church. And this is the church that will lead us to the promised land. So I would like everybody that is elder age to lay hands. It can be on their heads. It can be on their shoulders. Everybody should be touched here. Is everybody? Let us pray. Father, we believe in transformation. This is not a formality. Lord, we believe that you will do something mighty through your people. I ask that the Spirit of the Lord transforms every young soul here. Transform us also. Lord, whatever we are struggling with, whatever it is, if we are idle, if we are, if we are people that are just too busy for you or for our families, if we're whatever is keeping us from relationship with you and with others, I ask that you transform us. Lord, help these young souls to know that we believe in the power of prayer and may we pass it on to them so that they can do something mighty. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy always. In your name we pray, amen. And you know the ritual goes that, and I guess I could have had the kids up here as the sons of Aaron, as the royal priesthood. But you know as the ritual goes, we do Aaron's blessing. Yevareka Adonai Vayishmareka, Ya'er Adonai Panav Alecha Vichuneka. Yesa Adonai Panav Alecha Vayasem Lecha Shalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you shalom. Father, anoint us. May we carve out time. May we carve out that time 
and grow stronger in you by connecting with you. No matter what is taking that time now, Father, help us to put you there instead of that. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.